As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, it is time to finally break down the 2023 early signing class for Tar Heel football. It became official on Friday night as the early signing period closed, but Carolina did everything that they had to do on Wednesday, and so we are going to break down all of the guys that Carolina had uh, committed in the 2020 class. We'll tell you uh, who did commit all those guys, um, but then we'll also break down um, just, you know, some overall things about the class. Do we think that Carolina addressed the needs? Um, Are we concerned about the step back in the overall ranking that Carolina had? And are there any positions that we think Carolina still needs to address in this cycle. Also, we will take a look at the 10 guys that are early enrollees. Your uh, The football account as of today actually put up a picture of two of the guys that are out there with the team currently in San Diego. There are eight other guys who are early enrollees along with them. And that will lead us into one of our favorite things that we get to do each and every year when we break down the recruiting classes, and that is the superlatives for the 2022 early signing class for Carolina. But as I mentioned, let's take a look at the 20 guys that Carolina signed to this class. And I'll just read through the guys that Carolina is bringing in here. It starts with tw- with uh, four-star Chris Culliver. Um, again, these are going off the star ratings is based on 24-7 sports composite rankings. Those are the ones that I have used since 
Uh, we've started doing this and the blog, and that's the ones that I will continue to use. Chris Culliver, highest rated player in the class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, number 202 overall, uh, also ranked as the number 28 wide receiver in the class. You got Jabron Harvey, uh, the edge rusher out of Southern High School in Durham, North Carolina. Culliver, by the way, out of Maiden High School in Maiden, North Carolina. So two in-state guys uh, heading up the top of the class there. Uh, but Harvey rated as the number 242 overall player in the class, the number 26 uh, edge rusher in this 2023 cycle. Then you've got Tyler Thompson, yet another in-state uh, edge rusher for Carolina at a Panther Creek High School in Cary, North Carolina, ranked inside of the top 300 as well at 258 and ranked as the 30th edge rusher in this class. The big man in the middle for Carolina, Joel Starlings at a Benedictine High School in Richmond, Virginia, the number 313 overall ranked player in the class, the number 43 ranked defensive tackle. You've got Christian Hamilton, the number uh, 49 ranked wide receiver in the class, yet another guy in the state of North Carolina, a four-star receiver out of Hickory Ridge High School in Harrisburg, North Carolina, ranked as the number 352 overall player. Uh, the last four-star in the class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, is Tad Hudson, quarterback of this class for Carolina, the longest-standing commitment that Carolina has had in this class out of uh, Huff High School in Cornelius, North Carolina. He is the number 24 quarterback in this class. Then you go to the three stars. Carolina's got a bunch of them and some guys that are still really, really talented, even if they rank outside of the top 500. It starts with Julian Randolph, the three-star tight end out of the state of Virginia Independence High School in Ashburn, Virginia, to be exact. He is the number 570 overall prospect in this class, but the number 26 tight end. Nolan McConnell out of Colonial Forge, uh, high school in Stafford, Virginia, offensive tackle, uh, the lone offensive tackle commit for Carolina in this class. Although there is a guy that we'll talk about here in a little bit that may show some flexibility to be able to help Carolina out there as well. But McConnell ranked as the number 583 overall prospect and the uh, number 46 offensive tackle in the class. Then you've got Trey Miller out of Deer Creek High School in Edmond, Oklahoma, a guy that many people may remember as Dale Miller, um, but he goes by Trey. Uh, he is ranked as the number 68 corner in the class, the number 677 overall player. You've got Jordan Louie, the signing day commit to Carolina at Meadow Creek High School in Norcross, Georgia. Uh, he is ranked as the number 697th prospect overall in the class, the number 50 running back in this class. Caleb Lavalli, the linebacker in the middle for Carolina out of Whitefield Academy in Mableton, Georgia. He is the number 59 linebacker in this class, the number 726th overall prospect. You've got Caleb Cost, also out of the state of Georgia, Sandy Creek High School in Tyrone, Georgia. Uh, he is the number 78 cornerback in the class and the number 747th overall player. Paul Billups out of Western Branch High School in Chesapeake, Virginia, 
a guy that was a borderline four-star prospect at one point, but has dropped back a little bit in the national rankings overall. He is the number 783 overall prospect and the number 106 wide receiver in this class. Meanwhile, you have Rodney Laura, the defensive lineman, a guy that committed one day before signing day out of Woodbury Forest High School in Woodbury Forest, Virginia. He is the number 807th ranked prospect in the class and the 88th ranked defensive lineman for uh, this class. Meanwhile, Aiden Duncanson, uh, he joins his high school teammate in Caleb Lavalle at a Whitefield Academy in Mableton, Georgia. Uh, he, he joins him in this class. He is the number 72 overall safety, the number 840 overall prospect. Then you've got Robert Grigsby, the interior offensive lineman out of North Cobb High School in Kennesaw, Georgia. He is ranked as the number 68 interior offensive lineman in the class, the number 885th uh, overall prospect. Ty Adams, another three-star guy who is ranked 902nd in the class, 90th overall at the cornerback position. He is out of the state of Georgia as well, out of Swainsboro High School. Meanwhile, you go down to a couple of guys that are ranked outside of the top 1,000, so we'll just give you their position ranks. You got DJ Geth, the uh, guy. He is a legacy of former Tar Heel basketball player Ed Geth, who was on the national championship team back in 1993. Uh, he comes out of Dorman High School in Roebuck, South Carolina, rated as the number 81 interior offensive lineman in the class. Amari Campbell out of Unity Reed High School in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, he is the number 111th linebacker in the class and another linebacker that Carolina got just shortly before the end of the early signing period, Michael Short out of Mallard Creek High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is ranked as the number 112. Uh, linebacker in the class. So that is a look at everybody that is a part of this class to this point. And now I bring in uh, Zach Hubbard, our recruiting analyst here on the Heel Tough Walk podcast. And Zach, when you look at this class, I think the biggest thing, first of all, is just your overall thoughts on, on this class and, and what Carolina did, you know, to fill some holes that I think they needed to fill uh, with, with so many guys that are departing via the transfer portal and just via graduation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at this class overall, we did think that it was going to be uh, a little bit of a smaller class. It's not going to be a huge, huge class, and it was going to be a class that was maybe a step back in the rankings as compared to, you know, the last few years where there was more you know, higher-end four- and five-star talent that committed to North Carolina. It wasn't as big a year in the state of North Carolina. It was not as big a year in the state of Virginia, being the Tar Heels, really their two primary areas. So we sort of predicted that, and that somewhat came true. Um, just in terms of their, you know, composite high school rating, they are at 26, where they've seen, you know, more so rating in the, uh, you know, the 10 to 15 range in recent years. So they have dropped down a little bit. Um, and, and I think a lot of the guys that they got in this class are, you know, more developmental, but that is, you know, to some extent what North Carolina needs to be. I, I mean, I don't think that I'm saying anything out of turn with, with saying that, you know, the North Carolina Targo football team has not been, you know, a, a, an annual, you know, playoff 
contender or anything along those lines. They're not quite yet at the level of, you know, a Georgia and Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, where they're just going to pull in, you know, top three class on top three class. So, you know, if you get these, you know, 10 and 15 classes, more often than not, you're going to come a little bit more back to where you have been. And that's what we saw with the, you know, Tar Heel class this year. But I, I think they did fill, fill a lot of needs. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be a developmental program, you're going to have to bring in bodies continue to, you know, have guys come in to take people's places, especially with the transfer portal now. You're always going to have this influx of talent, and you've got to do what you can to make sure that you keep it on campus and develop it, and then have teams that are, you know, older, are experienced, are, you know, leadership-driven. And I think that, you know, this class specifically has the chance to be that uh, for Tar Heel teams down the line. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that Carolina did in this class was, you know, they, they really showed that they they still have the hold on the home state. I know that they did not land some of the top guys in this class, but I think that was going to be an uphill battle anyways, because remember that this class is usually very reflective of the year before, not the current year that is going on on the field. And look, last year was a major step back for Carolina football. Um, They came in with preseason expectations of being one of the better teams, uh, not only in the ACC, but in in the entire country. There were some people that thought with Sam Howell there that that was a team that could potentially have an outside shot at the college football playoff. And instead they went six and seven. And so we knew that there was going to be some backlash from that there was going to be some there it was going to be a challenge and I think the staff did a good job of approaching this and approaching the areas where they had their biggest needs now there are some guys that of course I think especially on the offensive line there were a couple of guys in the state of North Carolina that you probably would have liked to uh, bring in if you were this Tar Heel staff but Notre Dame did a tremendous job in this class of you know winning over the offensive line. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you had another big time prospect at a Grimsley high school, very similar to what you had a year ago with Travis Shaw um, and Jamal Jarrett, who, you know, Carolina just was not able to have as much success with as they did with Shaw. But I, I think for the most part, they still took care of business. I really think that, They got what they needed at the wide receiver positions. I think one of the things that we've seen from this staff year in and year out is trying to fill those three different type of receiver roles that you need. They got their guy in the slot in Christian Hamilton. They've got Chris Culliver, who's the speedster on the outside that can take the top off. And I think that's going to be huge because we've seen some guys hold that role so far this year. J.J. Jones in particular that, you know, have have shown some flashes but have not been able to put it all together uh, so far, and it could leave the door open. So a guy like Chris Culver that can come in and compete immediately uh, will, will be huge. And then you've got your guy that can be your jump ball threat, that can be your, your, your guy that can get you 10 yards with uh, a catch. That's Paul Billups. And so I think Carolina's got some nice balance there. I like what they did on the edges. Carolina, one of the biggest things they've got to find moving forward, and I still think they have to go into the transfer portal, which is another reason why this class isn't bigger than 
I think it, it than it is right now, and it's probably not as big as some people originally thought it was going to be. It's because Carolina's trying to save some spots so they can bring in more transfer help. But I think with the guys that are signed to this class as you know, soon to be true freshmen, I think the edge rusher spot they did a really good job in. I think the defensive, you know, the interior of the defensive line, I like Joel Starlings. I think that's a really good pickup for Carolina. Rodney Lore is a guy that I think is a developmental guy, but I definitely think with him, you know, it, it's still, it was a necessary need to pick up some depth there. You would have liked to have Joshua Horton, who was a little more versatile, but it didn't work out. And I think the staff did a good job of adjusting there. And I mean, some of the other rooms, Carolina just did a really good job of keeping it stocked up. I thought, you know, the interior of the offensive line, you got two guys that are developmental guys, but that if the staff develops them right, especially under Randy Clements, who has worked, you know, at multiple places where he hasn't had the recruiting advantage, he has just been able to develop really good players. I think both Robert Grigsby and DJ Geth have what they need on the inside, the tools necessary uh, to be able to eventually become really good prospects. And I also really like what Carolina did, uh, you know, at the cornerback spot. I know that there's not a ton of talent there, not like we've seen in past years where Carolina has brought in these four and even five-star prospects, if you go back to Tony Grimes. But I think you see some developmental guys similar to what you saw when Gene Chizik was here the first time. And you wonder if that combined with what Charlton Warren uh, wants, if that works better with some guys that, you know, maybe aren't quite as highly ranked, but are guys that the staff really has, has identified as ones that they can develop in the system. So we'll, we'll see. The other big thing for me is what they did in the state of Georgia. They established a footprint in the state of Georgia that was not there before this recruiting class. You landed six players in the state of North Carolina. You landed six in the state of Virginia. Well, you also landed six out of the state of Georgia. And that is the influence that Charlton Warren in particular has had for this staff. And I think it's huge because that is one of the most talent rich states right now in the country. The state of Florida is one that Carolina, I think, is still working on at this point. We've seen them, you know, get hand out more and more offers in the state. They're not having the success of landing guys, but Georgia is definitely a step in the right direction. Well, Zach, let's talk a little bit more about that step back that Carolina takes in the uh, overall composite ranking. And, you know, Carolina, the, the last three classes ranked 11th, 14th and 14th prior to this year. Now they take a step back to 26th. And I think a lot of it, again, as I said just a minute ago, really has to go back to the lack of success that the team had last year on the recruiting trail. But I think the other element is that there are some people that are probably looking at Mac Brown and thinking he is getting older. Um, they're probably also seeing some of the rumblings from within the Tar Heel fan base that how much longer can this actually go on if the results are, are, are still kind of where they're at at this point? What is your overall concern level for where this class finished out at 26th in the early signing period? I think it's somewhat of a moderate concern, at least in my opinion at this point. Like I mentioned, uh, when you're at the level that North Carolina is at currently, and like you mentioned, you know, they've 
there's been some good and some bad sort of middle of the road in terms of where their football success has been under Mac Brown. Um, there is, you know, these things are going to happen in terms of you're not going to be able to consistently pull, um, you know, top 10 or top 15 classes. Um, one thing that I look at uh, specifically as it relates to North Carolina is just how the state overall was recruited, not only, you know, how North Carolina did, but the other regional powers. I mean, you, you look at how NC State did, how Wake did, how Duke did, um, and even, you know, schools like Clemson and um, South Carolina did, uh, which typically they'll, they'll like to go in into uh, North Carolina to, to get some guys. I mean, when you look at what would be um, the 247 deposit ranks, just looking at the top 10 guys to give us sort of a very even sample uh, only two of those guys stayed in state and went to a university in North Carolina. Um, and that would be, you know, Chris Culliver, who is the eighth player in the state, and uh, J. Brown Harvey, which is the 10th player. So, you know, one through seven and number nine all went outside of the state. Now, Rico Walker, former North Carolina commit, is number nine. So that is, you know, a bit of a technicality there. That's its own situation. But on the whole, we see guys going elsewhere. We see Notre Dame, we see Georgia, we see Tennessee, we see Florida State coming in and having an impact um, here in the state, Ohio State as well. We see that. So I think that's one issue in and of itself. Another, you know, that the, the Tar Heel uh, program and really every program in college football is going to have to reckon with at least within the next few years is NIL. I mean, we've heard Mac Brown talk about that numerous times, not only as it relates to getting guys in recruiting, but also uh, the transfer portal, tampering, everything in terms of that NIL, you know, is, is a factor in a lot of these recruitments. Not to say that North Carolina is uncompetitive in that aspect necessarily, or that, you know, that radically changes how, you know, recruitments go. I mean, we look on the whole and we see, you know, the rankings, you know, for the overall team recruiting rankings look a lot of the same. I mean, it's a lot of the same schools still, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Miami, Texas, Texas A&M, and places like that still have these high rate classes. So it's not radically different on the whole, but, you know, it does have some impacts in these, you know, individual improvements. And then, you know, like we mentioned sort of at the top, you know, it was not a huge year in North Carolina. It's not a huge year in Virginia. So, you know, those are sort of the two main areas, at least in recent years that we've seen North Carolina look to, you know, get sort of its higher ranked players from, I think good number of the, you know, high four, high five-star players that they've gotten in the past few years have been Virginia guys. You have a North Carolina guy in a Travis job. I mean, you look at a, a Tony Grimes from Virginia, you look at a Zach Rice from Virginia. Um, so, you know, Virginia and the high-end talent there has been very important to this Tar Heel uh, program, you know, early on, uh, so far in the Mac Brown era. And that just wasn't there this year. You know, the, there were not the relationships. There was not the same level of guys there. So they did have to go out into sort of their secondary areas in, in Georgia and Florida, uh, which I think is good on the long term. Like you mentioned, uh, Charlton Warren really sort of adding that connection. And, you know, when you look at the state of Georgia overall as a recruiting landscape, yeah, no, it's not as close as obviously being in state of North Carolina or right next door in Virginia, but it's not far either. And it's, you know, it's one of the most populous high school football states in the nation. It's one of the most talented year in and year out. If you go back throughout the history of recruiting, 
Um, a lot of times people sort of focus on the big three, the big three states, uh, California, Texas, and Florida as sort of, you know, the states that uh, produce the most talent. And obviously, you know, with their location and warmer areas, their population, that makes sense. But Georgia's really, you know, in the last few years been on the up and up in that uh, department. So I, I think that uh, when you look at a state that plays a ton of, you know, high level high school football, even if these guys aren't necessarily, you know, high four and five stars, these are guys that, you know, are, are not just your run of the mill players, even if they are, you know, sort of in that uh, top 500 or third top 1000 range. These are guys that have experience going it up against other D1 prospects and they understand you know, what it takes from a, a dedication standpoint and what it takes in the weight room, things along those lines. So I would say it is a little bit of a mixed bag in, in terms of this class. It is a step back. So, you know, it can't be considered quite as success as the others. But, you know, as we've stated, it is more of a developmental class. And I, I, I think, you know, on the whole, you look at what's already come in in the transfer portal for North Carolina. They've already gotten, you know, six transfers committed to come to North Carolina looking for more. In this cycle, the transfer portal might be, you know, a little bit of a, a larger concern. Um, they'll get those guys. They'll see what, you know, they can build and what will likely be Drake May's last uh, collegiate year in 2023 and then see where things go from there. And then sort of, you know, what, what are the next steps for the Mac Brown era? We sort of saw this, you know, this movement around uh, Sam Howell and the plan sort of center around him. Now we've seen sort of the overall plan of the program center around Drake May. And then from there, we'll sort of, you know, see where he's going to go. Like you mentioned, he is, you know, in his seventies, how long is he going to want to do this? How long is, you know, the program and the administration at large going to want him to do this? I think those are questions that you don't need to be answered um, in the long term, but in the short term specifically, they're building for 2023, which means there's less focus on the high school ranks and more so on the portal. And I think you sort of see that reflected in how both classes, the high school and the portal classes, are going thus far. Yeah, and I think, to be honest with you, this is kind of uh, – it, it's the, – the reason why Carolina's class is rated as low as it is is kind of like you're talking to there. This is just something that you're going to see, I think, moving forward um, certain years. I think there will be years where Carolina's high school class will definitely be – seen as more important but look to you know at least in our minds right now um and to all expectations this is drake may's final year coming up in 2023 I, well i don't think any of us think differently at this point considering that he is looked at as probably a top 10 overall prospect in the draft and neck and neck with caleb williams in terms of being the top quarterback in next year's draft. And look, all of that stuff can change. We saw that with Sam Howell, and we had that conversation after he went to the draft that he probably regretted not coming back to school, at least to a certain extent. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up actually happening. And hopefully, you know, Drake Bay is able to look like the player that we saw him look like for most of the season. And that does become reality. And if so, that's the reason why the transfer portal is so important for this team this year. And it's why, as you're saying, a, a lot of those spots that would have been taken by high school prospects in years past. I mean, in years past, just even if you have 
half of the portal entries that you had um, in this cycle. Carolina would probably have brought in about 23, 24, maybe even 25 guys, full class, to sort of restock this roster. But with the transfer portal, with the fact that you can get guys that are ready to play now and make impacts to positions where Carolina simply needs help, it's hard not to get enamored with that and want to bring in those types of players. And honestly, you know, it's a quicker fix to the, the issues that you have as a team. In years past, you would just have to bring in, you know, new, you would have to bring in those high school guys and just pray that you were able to develop them quick enough or that guys that are on your current roster would just step up. You would have the occasional transfer, but it's nothing like this. So I think it's it's part of just navigating this new landscape. And then as you mentioned, I think it's also just the talent that you saw in the, the two states that Carolina has done the majority of their damage in. The state of Virginia, uh, where Carolina has just cleaned up, especially in the last two cycles, simply is not as good as, as it has been in the past. And uh, you got to hand it to James Franklin and his staff at, at uh, Penn State. They have simply done any tremendous job in this cycle. Uh, I mean, look, they landed three of the, the top four prospects from the state of Virginia in this cycle and they have land, and they landed six of the top 10. So they they did their damage in state. Carolina still did a pretty good job in the state of Virginia. And I mean what's interesting is that Carolina still did a far better job than Virginia Tech or uh Virginia in the state of Virginia. So it looks like Carolina is still in a pretty good standing there. Now, I think this year you will find out a lot about where Carolina stands in that state overall and how concerned you should be, because that's a big one for Carolina. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what type of impact not having Tony Grimes a part of uh, the Carolina roster moving forward is, because his dad, very influential in the state, used to bring a lot of those guys in weekly for home games, at least. Whenever Carolina was there, they would, he would bring uh, just a multitude of prospects with him for visits. I'm not saying that, you know, we're not going to see Carolina still host a lot of these guys from Virginia on a pretty, uh, a, a, a pretty often, but I think that you're, you're probably going to see a little bit of a downtick there. So how does Carolina counter that? Can Dre Bly step it up in that state? And then in the state of North Carolina, you know, look, one of the things Mac Brown said when he first got here was that he wanted to build a fence around the state of North Carolina. And I think, you know, look, if Carolina flips Noah Rogers, like there was some talk uh, about probably about two months ago now, um, if they're able to potentially lock up uh, David Hobbs before everything that happened with his recruitment, um, I think then we're we're looking at this a little bit differently. But I think that with you know the fact that Carolina wasn't able to flip some of these top prospects in the state, I think has some people concerned. Um, I, I think again, it, it's going to be just like with the state of Virginia. What do they do in 2024? Because the state was pretty talent rich this time around. It's going to be talent rich once again in 24. So 
does this staff, you know, can, can they make the adjustments? Do they build off of, even if it doesn't finish out the way that we're hoping it does out in San Diego, off of what is at least a step forward again for the program and at least gets them back to where they were before the 2021 season, can they build off of that moving forward? I think those are going to be the things that determine just how concerned we should be about this class. Last thing I wanted to ask you, Zach, before we take our break here and then come back and hand out some of those class superlatives, you know, are are there any positions that you look at and think Carolina still needs to land a prospect or two at in this class? Because I think, you know, for the most part, Carolina did a pretty good job of addressing their needs, but is there one spot that you maybe think they need to find somebody here down the stretch uh, to to add and maybe make this a 21, possibly 22-person class? Yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. I think from a a pure numbers perspective, I think that they did a pretty good job on the whole. I I think they largely – you know, set out and, you know, accomplished what they needed from a needs perspective. So, you know, there's really not a lot of positions that actively, you know, need a, a ton of extra bodies, um, I would say. If there is, you know, any any positions in general that I would look at and say this would make the most sense in, in terms of, you know, another 2023 20, guy, if there is any sort of you know, unsigned guys or late risers sort of in January, February. Um, I would probably look first and foremost at the offensive line. They only got, you know, three guys committed in the offensive line class. It it was, you know, my opinion and the opinion of others, they were probably looking more towards uh, a four or five man class. Then like you mentioned, they had some, you know, options within North Carolina sort of not go the way that they had hoped. So, you know, they have the three that they have if there is, Another one that they feel good about, more specifically, if new offensive line coach Randy Clements feels good about him, that could be an option. Um, the only other one that I would think of potentially would be uh, maybe a a true um, you know cornerback that is over six foot. Um, that's generally sort of the range that they've looked at recently. But you know that's uh, that's sort of below offensive line on my list because. You know, they did sign multiple guys that can play cornerback. They signed Ty Adams out of Swainsboro, Virginia, Caleb Cost, they can sort of play corner or nickel. And then Trey Miller, like you mentioned, out of Oklahoma, but all of these guys are under six foot. So I think from there the question becomes, are they more accepting of these smaller body types and they're more concerned with, you know, speed sort of vertically and laterally or you know, are these just the options they had available to them? We we really don't have those answers at this point. That's going to be, you know, dependent on hearing more from the defensive staff and maybe hearing more, you know, once it comes time for, for clinic season, we sort of hear more and more from the coaches, coaches in terms of, you know, what they're looking for in their defense. We'll likely hear a little bit more at that time from uh, defensive coordinator Gene Chizik and then defensive back coach Charlton Warren. But yeah, I'd say offensive line or really true cover corner. If there's two positions that I think that they would or should look for sort of in this late signing period, I think it would be those two. Yeah, I think corner is a great spot that they should still be looking into because, as you mentioned, no guys over six foot in this class. And that's a little concerning to me. I mean, it's 
a little less concerning when you start to read into some of these guys. I mean, I know Trey Miller, um, when you know he played at, uh, at in the state of Alabama, his previous high school, Hoover High School, uh, his head coach there uh, said that he's a guy that, look, even though he is 5'11", he's a guy that plays more like 6'1", 6'2", so he can play on the outside. And you would imagine that with them signing three guys under that six-foot mark, that Carolina did look into that. Charlton Warren looked into that along with Gene Chizik, and they were okay with the fact that they didn't have somebody over that height. But I think that's a good call. Really, to me, it's just cornerback overall. If they can add another guy in this class, that would be huge because that's the spot where Carolina was hit the hardest by the transfer portal. They lost four scholarship guys there. And look, they, they've got three guys in this class. You do have two transfers coming in as well. But I think that's a room where, as we've seen in the past, Carolina has had injury issues there for years. And the other thing is, is that there really isn't a lot of, you know, proven depth there. So there could be, you know, the more competition that you can bring in there, the better, I think. And then on the offensive line, I think it's a great call. Most specifically, I think you – Carolina, if they could find one, and this it's probably a little too late because most of these guys are off the board. Finding a true center would be huge for this team in this cycle because they haven't signed one in a while, and you see the effects that it's having. And look, I don't think it's a bad thing that they went out and got Willie Lampkin from Coastal Carolina. Um, he has the, you know, if if he doesn't play center this year, he'll probably have the option to play there next year. He'll probably be a guy that will help Carolina at uh, the guard spot, probably the spot that'll be left behind by Ed Montalus, although we don't really know if William Barnes is coming back. Nothing, it doesn't seem like anything has really been confirmed there, but the belief is that he will. Montalus, on the other hand, has said this is his final game in the Holiday Bowl. So, uh, you know, if, if Corey Gaynor uh, is, is still coming back, that would be huge for Carolina. But if not, then you're talking about Lampkin pretty much being your only center. And once again, you're dealing with a scenario where if something was to happen to him, more than likely you're having to move Caden Baker back there um, to center to take over that starting job, which is, you know, a spot he's cross-trained at for the last couple of years. And I think he would be serviceable enough. But finding a true center at some point is something that Carolina has to do. They can't keep going into the transfer portal every year to find a center. Um, so I, I think that's one of the that that's the one area that I would look at on the offensive side. And then yeah, cornerback. Maybe if you could find another safety to add a little depth there as well, you might look in that area. Um, but the other thing that we don't know, and I, I think will be interesting here over the next couple of weeks, is there is still time for guys to enter the transfer portal. So if Carolina does have somebody enter before the transfer portal deadline, more people enter that they were not foreseeing, uh, there is, you know, there's a chance that Carolina could have to make adjustments based off of that. And I, I I think it's it's more than possible, and it close the the deadline. By the way, is January eighteenth, so still a little bit of time. 
about three weeks. So we'll have to monitor that and see uh, if there are any areas that pop open where Carolina uh, may have to fill them on the 2023 uh, recruiting trail. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll tell you about the 10 guys that are early enrollees, and that'll roll us straight into our class superlatives. You don't want to miss those coming up on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubbard two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Zach Hubbard with you. It is time to take a look at the 10 early enrollees for Carolina's 2023 early signing class. And we'll go in alphabetical order here. And it starts with wide receiver Paul Billups. Uh, You have linebacker Omari Campbell, interior offensive lineman DJ Geth, fellow interior offensive lineman RJ Grigsby, uh, wide receiver Christian Hamilton, uh, edge rusher J. Brown Harvey, quarterback Tad Hudson, offensive tackle Nolan McConnell, linebacker Michael Short, and edge rusher Tyler Thompson. So Carolina gets two of their three top prospects in the class in uh, on campus early, and both of those guys are the edge rushers, Harvey and Thompson. They get their quarterback in 
early Tad Hudson. That'll be good for him to get in there and compete, especially with Jacoby Criswell having entered the transfer portal. And you also get all three of Carolina's offensive linemen in there early to work with Randy Clements and the new coaching staff. So a very interesting group there. And that sort of spins us into our next question, because more than likely, although it's not certain that uh, the, the first superlative that we give out, the most likely to contribute early, will come from this group of early enrollees. Early in the season this year, though, you did have Amari and Hampton, who was a guy that uh, came in in the summer, and he contributed right away out of the gate. But, Zach, do you see somebody being like Amarian in this class, or are you sticking with one of the early enrollee guys as you're most likely to contribute to this team early? Yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of um, early contributions, um, if there's going to be a late guy, it might be North Carolina's highest-rated prospect in the 2023 class in Chris Culver, uh, one of my favorite wide receivers in this class, and another big body guy. So, you know, that position, there there are a good deal of, of names there that we'll see, you know, this fall, but it is a position, uh, wide receiver specifically, where they like to rotate. They like to use a lot of different guys. So it's not necessarily that you have your, you know, starting three and that you can just go with that. I mean, we see a lot of rotation there. So if there's a um, freshman wide receiver that's going to break in, it's probably going to be Chris Culliford, and he'd probably be my sort of, um, you know, June enrollee selection. Um, in terms of guys that are specifically early enrollees, I'd probably look at the edge prospects that we have coming in, specifically Tyler Thompson out of uh, Tampa Creek High School here in Cary, North Carolina. I'm really impressed with what he brings. Obviously, you know, getting him in early alongside some of those, you know, offensive line guys as well really the biggest thing that you get from a um, early enrollee is just they get a head start on strength and conditioning they get a head start on sort of adjusting to you know the intensity of college the speed the strength of college and you know edge is a position that um it's pretty wide open going into the 2023 um calendar year uh, for football. I mean, we, we had really two guys and I really had two guys that were, you know, played sort of their true edge or, you know, Jack linebacker position most of the time in Noah Taylor and Chris Collins, both now gone. Now you see a guy like Aaron Rucker, he can sort of move around. He's pretty versatile at that degree. So, you know, can play a lot of sort of that power end or strong side defensive end, uh, but could also potentially play the Jack linebacker position, but we really don't know right now. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, openness there. They have recruited uh, the position well. There are some, you know, former four-star prospects sort of in the mix. But um, I think that's a position with as wide open as it is. Um, if you, you know, were to see sort of one of these um, early enrollees, freshmen try to carve out a role year one, I think it'd be one of those two. And I'd probably lean towards Tyler Thompson, at least as of today. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be one of those two guys, just because you're talking about a defensive front that has just been about as inconsistent as it gets. And yeah, you know, Cayman Rucker is a guy that I think could move out to that jack spot. We heard them talk about that when the injury to Noah Taylor happened, but 
they kind of need him at the power end spot as well because they haven't had anybody that has really been able to prove themselves out there. Javari Ritzy has been valuable in the middle. So I think one of those edge rushers, and I mean, Tyler Thompson, I the, the thing with both of them is they're both very similarly sized. I know Thompson put on a little bit of weight his senior year of high school and uh, was very impactful this year. Jabron Harvey's got the speed off the edge, though, and that's one of the things that Carolina, I think, lacks, uh, and, and they really have to find that. But the physicality is something that I don't think can be um, shortchanged because that's something that Carolina has lacked both on the interior of their offensive line, uh, as well on the as well as on the edges, and really just throughout this defense as a whole. So. Um, I, I will agree with you. I think Tyler Thompson is probably that guy that you're looking at, but I think both guys are going to have a legitimate chance to play major roles this season. Maybe they don't start right out of the gate, but I think it could be one of those scenarios where, look, if they come in as situational guys early on and they show some things, they will get a real shot to be starters within the first three or four weeks of the season because of just how little the group of guys that is there now has proven. Now, again, the other thing that, that there are still some elements uh, that have to be worked out here. I know Noah Taylor is applying for a waiver for an extra year, him as well as Corey Gaynor, who uh, is looking into his NFL career. So a lot of different layers going into what's going on with Corey Gaynor on the offensive line. but. With Noah Taylor, it's pretty much if he gets the waiver, he will be back. If he doesn't, then his career will be over. So you've got that factor playing in. And, you know, the, the other thing that you, you have to look at um, for Carolina at the edge rusher spot uh, is just, you know, what do, what do some of the other guys, what are some of these other guys' positions um, that have been listed as edge rushers before, but have moved around a little bit. Malachi Hamrick played a little bit of linebacker last year, but he was a guy that we were told was going to see, you know, some opportunities when you saw the injury to Noah Taylor happen midseason. He didn't get a ton of opportunities there, but is he a guy that's added weight and can now, you know, make that move back to edge rusher and get after the quarterback? Because Carolina just needs those guys so badly so we'll have to wait and see on that but I agree with you I think Tyler Thompson's probably the guy and then if I had to look at any of the other spots I really really think that R.J. Grigsby or Robert Grigsby either either way uh, is a guy that could have an impact just because of the fact that he is versatile he can play both guard and tackle and I think that's something that Carolina really values I, I think, you know, with what we've seen depth-wise from this group in the in years past, we've been told even when the team, you know, when the team is in fall camp, uh, even a couple of weeks before the season, that they feel like they have seven or eight guys. Once you get in season, it is pretty much five guys or maybe a sixth um, that it, th this staff seems to trust. So can R.J. Grigsby be that guy that comes in and makes that impact early? We'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, you go to the best overall prospect in this class. And look, we, we've watched all these guys. We've seen them from breaking them down whenever uh, there is a commitment. 
Zach, who do you think is the best prospect in this class? Because for a while, if you looked at the rankings, Jabron Harvey was rated as the top player in this class for Carolina. But Chris Culliver made a late charge and overtook that spot from him. Who, who do you think is the best overall prospect? And maybe we'll pan out as the best overall player when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I think, uh, to be honest with you, the rankings got it right here. I mean, as soon as I really got in and dug into the film on Chris Culliver, I really liked what I saw from him, not only because he has the, you know, the requisite size being at 6'3", but he's super, super fast as well. And I just think with, you know, the uh, the offensive prowess that we've seen from North Carolina, now, you know, we are going to see a little bit of a shift moving from Phil Longo to Chip Lindsey. But, you know, with what we've seen from the production of, you know, um, Lonnie Galloway and the wide receiver position, I, I think that that's, you know, really where um, North Carolina shines and it's development at that position. Um, and I think that, you know, this is the best sort of, as it currently stands, prospect in this class. So I, I think I'd have to stick with what the rankings say. And you know, we've talked about him a lot already in terms of, you know, a guy that can make a, an early impact. But I think, you know, within a year or two, as some of these other guys, these older guys, um, you know, have their time to play and move on, I think Chris Culliver is going to be a name that we're looking at, you know, pretty strongly here within the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I, I really think this comes down to three guys, in my opinion. I think Tyler Thompson, as we talked about, chance to have an early impact. I really like his length, 6'4", um, and, and I think if he can put on the right weight, then he will have a chance to be a really, really good player for Carolina. He's only improved from when Carolina jumped on him as a junior. And, you know, the, his senior year, building off of what he did the year before was really encouraging. Chris Culver, as you said, I think is an outstanding prospect. I love the way that he, um, you know, can impact games with his deep threat ability, but he's also a guy that can go up and get the football. Um, so I think there there is a little bit of what we've seen from Antoine Green this year, um, and really when he's been healthy throughout his entire career. And to a certain extent, I think it probably compares a little bit better to what we saw from Deami Brown. We saw how, just how effective he could be in the Tar Heel offense, which we're being told, even with a new offensive coordinator, is going to sort of mask what we saw from this group for the past four years. The other one that I really like, though, in this class is Joel Starlings. I love the size that he has already at 6'5", 310. I like the physicality that he plays with. I think that's the thing that Carolina needs the most right now on this defense is just guys that can play with a physical edge. And if you could get him to a point where he can be that guy next to Travis Shaw within the next year or two, I think that would be huge for Carolina, and it could uh, allow Carolina to finally have the interior of that defensive line that they have been trying to put together for the last few years since Mac Brown got here. They've landed the talent in there, but it hasn't been developed to this point. Maybe Joel Starlings coming in already, you know, in the shape that he needs to be in. The one thing with Travis Shaw a year ago was. He had a little bit too much weight on him. Starlings is right around where you need him to be. You wonder if he is a guy that can potentially come in here and eventually be one of the best prospects that Carolina has. I will go, uh, though, with 
Culliver as you did as well. I, I just really think that the overall skill set is hard to beat for him. And I really do think he's going to put together a fantastic career in Chapel Hill. Well, let's go to the most underrated prospect in the class. We've agreed on the first two. Let's see if we agree on this one, Zach. Who do you have as the most underrated prospect in this class? Yeah, when it comes down to it in terms of the most underrated, I, I really sort of focused in on uh, two guys that they added and two guys that they added really recently, both on the defensive side of the ball and defensive lineman, Rodney Laura, and then linebacker, Michael Short. Uh, Laura, you know, one of the very, very most recent um, additions, I think added on, um, you know, the Tuesday right before signing day, if I remember correctly, or, or you know, really right out of that final official visit weekend, but, uh, you know, a guy that really improved in his senior year, had um, his stock go up with the staff, you know, really sort of a versatile defensive lineman, more developmental, like you mentioned, but, you know, a guy that could be uh, a three-tech defensive tackle or, you know, a, a power in, depending on how you want to use him. And then you move over to a guy like Michael Short, another one that sort of with his senior year, rose up the rankings, um, already at 6'3", 220, so you know, just from a physical uh, perspective, you know, already sort of has, you know, the, the requisite uh, height weight that you're looking for, but, you know, plays really well. It is a really good pursuer uh, of, you know, tacklers, you know, doesn't have as much film in terms of him in coverage as you might want to see, but just really gets after the ball carriers that are near the line of scrimmage in, in a major way, which is something that you're always looking for from a linebacker. So, you know, those two in terms of underrated were really the first few that came to mind. But I, I think for me personally, I'm going to go with short. Um, I was a little bit more impressed for where he's at already. He's the lowest ranked uh, player in the class overall. And so, you know, it, it's hard to get more underrated than him, but yeah, uh, linebacker Michael short would definitely be my selection. See, I, I, I think there are a couple of guys here as well. I got three guys that I really keep an eye on here. Um, but one that I think sticks out a little bit more to me than anybody. First, Amari Campbell. Love the downhill uh, ability that he plays with a, as a middle linebacker. Really what Carolina wants in their middle linebackers. He's going to fit in really well, providing depth behind uh, behind Power Eccles. And, and I think that that's the mindset that you're looking for. A guy that plays with a ton of physicality, really wants to lay a hit on somebody. And it's and I think from watching him on film, takes really good angles to the football, stood out even last year when he was playing with the guy that's a five-star prospect that uh, is, I believe, still with Florida State. You never know in this day and age. And Sean Murphy at his high school, Unity Reed um, in Virginia. So I really think he has a chance to be a special player Robert Grigsby, I, I, I've said it. I said it earlier. Versatility with him, and I think his footwork, um, just just how fleet of foot he is, six th three and a half, three hundred ten pounds already has the size on him, but can play either tackle or interior offensive line. Does some really good things in the run game, moving guys out of the way, which is going to be more important. I think that's going to be more of a focal point from Chip Lindsey. Um, and with Randy Clements, uh, who, who's a guy that has been in a lot of run-based offenses as well. Um, I think that is going to be a focus to run the football more for Carolina. So I definitely think that Robert Grigsby will be a guy that uh, can affect 
the game uh, moving forward, and I think people need to take more of a look at. And then to me, I think the most underrated prospect in this class, and I think, you know, Rivals.com has him as a four-star, and I think they've got it right just from watching his film, going back and looking through what he did in high school. I think Carolina's signing day commit, Jordan Louie, is going to be an outstanding player. And look, he's going to have to navigate a lot in that backfield for Carolina. But you talk about a guy that can do just about everything that you need him to do. The one area that is probably a bit of a concern with him would be pass protection. But ultimately, I think you there are other guys that Carolina has there that are going to be better pass protectors here over the next couple of years that will allow him to sort of fit into the role that he had in high school. Um, we saw Carolina as the year went along, they split Elijah Green out into the slot a lot. And we know that George Petaway is a guy that Carolina can do that with. Well, Jordan Louie, they can definitely do that with. He did that multiple times in high school. Um, he, he was a guy that caught each of the last two years, caught more than 35 passes, uh, had more than 500 yards receiving in both of those years. Not to mention the production that he had on the ground absolutely exploded this past year uh, for a massive season at Meadow Creek High School in Norcross, Georgia. This dude, I, I love the mix of speed and power that he has, too. He runs with a purpose, gets downhill, very decisive. There is a lot to like about him. And if you're looking for a guy, you know, that is uh, that, that that could factor in kind of out of nowhere, I don't think it'll be quite as immediate as Amari and Hampton. Hampton was a four-star prospect, was very well-known, uh, really was one of those guys that I think everybody was kind of disappointed wasn't an early enrollee because they thought that he definitely could have earned that starting job um, right out of the gate. As an early enrollee, he wanted it even as a summer enrollee. Uh, I, I'm not sure if Louie's there in terms of that respect, but I wouldn't be shocked if with the issues that Carolina has had at establishing a full-time rotation at the running back position, we saw so many guys in and out of the rotation this year. I would not be shocked if Jordan Louie works himself into that rotation at some point. So that's our look at the 2023 early signing class. Carolina, as we mentioned, they still have some time here before the class comes to a close in February. Uh, the next few weeks are going to be huge to see if anybody else enters the transfer portal. You'll probably see that after the bowl game if other guys are making that decision. Uh, but it probably won't be many. It would probably only be about one or two other guys. Um, but we will have you covered no matter what in terms of that and the bowl game. We'll have you covered on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. You guys can go there and check out. We're going to have a preview going up soon uh, of the game against Oregon. How does Carolina come away with a victory against the Ducks? We will have that edition of the podcast coming up as well. So make sure you guys are checking all of that out on HeelToughBlog.com. Dot com while you're there check out the basketball coverage a little bit of a break here for carolina basketball but man they finished the out of conference season the way that we were hoping they would with two massive wins that have spirits up after that four game losing streak carolina of course taking down ohio state in madison square garden and then following it up 
in Charlotte in the Spectrum Center against Michigan. So we'll have you covered on the website throughout conference season. Josh will take you through the majority of that. I'll help. I'll sprinkle in some help when needed. And of course, the Four Corners podcast will have you covered. And it's all on that website, HeelToughBlog.com. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Zach for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tories. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.